Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 19, please? Yeah, or turn to it in your telephones even, okay? Psalm 19, that's what we're going to be looking over today. Yeah, so Psalm 19, okay? So I have three friends up here, my friend Kimmy, <laughs> who's in my Bible study, uh, and I actually love her like crazy, and it's kind of funny because um, Kim dressed me today, you guys. <laughs> she did. <laughs> you want to tell them a story? <laughs> well, my father passed six years ago, and he was my hero, and uh, there was about five jackets I just couldn't get rid of, and they didn't fit my husband, and they didn't fit my son. And about a month ago, I thought of jazz, and they fit him perfect, and this is one of them. <laughs> yep, no, whenever people turn my clothes look nice, I'm like, thanks to Kim. <laughs> and this is my brother Charles here, and Charles's daughter Blair was one of my students. Where's Blair? I think she went to go get some water. But anyway, we've known each other for quite some time, and um, he's a dear brother in the Lord. And then I have my Bible study leader, Glenn Komai, who kind of steps in, kind of like he and his wife Stephanie, as surrogate parents to me, since I don't have parents out here. And they're just um, people who love everybody, and they've actually shown their love for the Lord by loving me, and I dearly appreciate them. And so, yeah, I just have three friends that I'd love to, you know, just welcome up here to read the Word of God. So there we go. Thanks, you guys. Okay. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies declare the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no such speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Sure. I have to read off the big print on my phone here, so. <laughs> this is uh, verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Kimmy. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Thanks for reading. <clears throat> so as you look at that text, you guys, um, it just reminded me of something when I think about the Word of God. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to read um, the sermon blurb, but then I talked about um, a new word, a new year, and a new you. And in reality, the word isn't new because the word's been around since the beginning of time because it talks about a John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. But I was just thinking, wow, a new year, how can we start this off? Have you guys ever gotten a phone call or a message and somebody say, hey, I got a word for you? Or maybe you don't live in my culture, but, you know, that's what some of my people talk. I got a word for you, Jazz. Well, anyway, 
My buddy's mom gives me a call, and she says, Jazz, I got a word for you. I got to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, what is it? What is it? And she says, oh, I have something called miracle growth. I have plants in my house. I thought it was for my plants. She was talking about for my hair. She wanted my hair to grow back. I'm like, wait, that ain't no good word. That's a bad word. Maybe I like being bald, you know? So I'm just like, but anyway, she said, I have a word for you. And then she had the audacity to say, and trust me, it really works. Uh, I never used it, obviously, you know, so it's all good. But anyway, I have a friend, Joni, who lives in Pasadena. And when I was at Rolling Hills Covenant Church, every so often she would come down. And whenever she, we'd leave church, she'd say, oh, yeah, I got me a good word. That's what she'd always say. And that meant that the word of God spoke to her, and she walked away with something. Well, my desire is that today you would get a good word. But not because Jazz is preaching, but because the word is alive and active and ready to work within your hearts. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the fact that your word never returns void. It accomplishes all that it sets out to do. Um, it is here to revive the souls. It is here to revive the souls of every person sitting in his seat. Everyone who's come has come with a purpose, Lord. And um, you've ordained that they would be here. I ask, Lord, for those of, them, those, those of us who do not know you yet as Lord and Savior, that our hearts would be open, that we would come to know you. And those of us who do know you as Lord, Lord and Savior would just walk with you all the more. And that our hearts would be pierced and that we'd um, just have a hunger and a desire and a, tenacious, a tenacity to just follow you. Thank you so much for being good to us, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Point number one. The world shows off God. And the sermon blurb also talked about that. How, you know, um, when you look at Psalm 19, it's divided into three parts. Or actually two parts. The world and the word. And the first part is how the world shows off God. The second part is how the word of God shows off God. And I have the last part with something that I just kind of coined saying, our righteous response or our right response also shows off God. I want to give some background to this text, okay? It was written by the psalmist David, where he demonstrates that the reality of God can be understood in two ways, through his, um, through his creation and through his commands. As we look at verses 1 through 6, we get to see God shown off or revealed through his creation. The heavenly bodies, the work of his hands, which basically function as actually missionaries. Thus, the universe gives testimony to his greatness. Psalm 147.4 tells us, he put the stars in the sky and he calls them each by name. I want us to pause for a second and I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine being out camping somewhere in Big Bear or wherever you would go where you can actually see the stars at night. Think about the, how immense it is and how you can see maybe the Little Dipper, the Big Dipper, you know, whatever else, Orion or whatever planet might be the one planet that shines so brightly. Now, let's pan through. It's morning time. It's 12 noon. Think about seeing the sky and its brightness and how beautiful it is, how beautiful it is. Get that picture. You know, that is just at the fingertips of God. Open your eyes. That is just the fingertips of God. Those are actually things that he's put in place and he's named each star. And we know that there are thousands, millions of them just going on and on and on throughout the galaxy. The heavens declare the glory of God and the greatness of the creator. Thus, we see natural revelation transcending human communication when it says there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. I came across a great illustration of the sun being like a bridegroom coming out of its um, room every morning. Well, in the same way, it brings our solar system through the galaxy. It takes about 250 million years or something to complete at 500,000 miles per hour. Somebody correct me on my math. I bet that would be you, the elementary school teacher. She would know this. <laughs> this is simply a revelation of his power and glory being shown to man day after day. And when we think about God's wisdom and his perfect plan, 
Isn't it awe-inspiring how the earth is set at just the right distance from the sun so that we don't burn to death or freeze to death? How there's just enough gravity so that we don't fall out of the sky or so that airplanes are held at the right you know, altitude or whatever it may be. When I think about that, what is that a result of? The work of his hands. He knows exactly what he's doing. Psalm 8.3 says, all exist, all that exists is at the work is at the work of his fingers. But the heavens and the sun are not deified because they are not, um, they are not, go they are not godly things, but they're created by God. This is simply anthropomorphism, where human nature, where nature takes on human characteristics, thus illustrating God's great power and ability to do anything. And we know that it says in scripture that even if we fail to praise him, the trees, the mountains, the skies, everything else would stand up in adoration of our father. That's because he's great. That's because he is the creator. The sun, the brightest star, gives testimony of God's glory, his power, and even his wisdom. But not only is God creator, you guys, of sea and sky, not only is he lord of sea and sky, he's also creator of man. He has crafted us exactly as he's wanted to be. Many of us walk around and as a high school teacher, I see kids just constantly losing weight, little girls who eat probably lettuce for lunch or something like that. The thing is, they are beautiful in God's sight. He's created them exactly how he wants them. All of us, without flaws, whatever it may be, we're exactly as God deems us to be. He loves us as we are. Because it says in Genesis that he created us in his image. Ephesians 2.10 talks about the fact that we are his workmanship. We are actually his showcase. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Get this. He who created the heavens and created the earth also created us and because of his great creation and mighty works he's on display that sounds kind of interesting right but yep in a weird way somehow we get to see the master maker now as the masterpiece though he was not created but that's just showing just how marvelous he is when it comes down to it it says in deuteronomy 10 14 to the lord to the lord um, belong the heavens even the highest heavens the earth and everything in it that is a lot all things are in the fold of God. Colossians 1 tells us, In him all things are created, and he holds all things together. Thus the message of the created world extends everywhere to show off God. Everything actually shows off God. I just wanted to give us a brief little synopsis of the first part, because the second part is, where I really want to is what I really want to emphasize. And that's how the word of God shows off God. Um, Charles, did you read that middle section? So if you guys could look over that middle section, I'm going to give us a minute. Why don't you look over that again, and then I'm going to come back to it, okay? Because this part is just really important. It's verses 7 through 10. Okay, the word shows off God. There are few words that are used synonymously for the word or the law of the Lord. Testimony, statutes, precepts, commands, judgments, decrees. And in verses 7 through 11, we see that God is reviewed, uh, revealed through his word. I know that when we, hear certain, <laughs> when we hear certain words referring to God's law, 
we might have a tendency to get kind of scared when I hear law or when I hear um, or ordinance or something like that. That kind of like scares us at times because it sounds so legal or whatever. So I want to put us at ease and ease some of the tension by first sharing the benefits of God's law. Because I think a lot of times when we hear law, we just think of bad or something like that or I'm going to catch you or whatever. There are so many benefits laden throughout here. What does the law of God do for us? It revives us. It transforms us. It gives us life. It makes us wise. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens us, produces righteousness, and it endures forever. And the list could go on and on and on. And now I want to talk about the character of the word of God. It is perfect. It is sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. Those are all good things referring to God's law. But for whatever reason, I think the world has flipped it upside down so that we kind of get fearful in a negative way and we think bad of God when we think of his word. But God and his word are actually excellent. As we look at verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You see, the law isn't bad. It shows me that actually I need a savior. It points me to Jesus who is dying for me to be saved and who literally died so that I could be saved. In fact, God's word is like a plumb line. Um, David, what is a plumb line? I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you're a carpenter, so you know what this is. <laughs> what is a plumb line? Yep, you use it, for example, when you're hanging up posters, hanging up pictures or whatever, or whatever it may be, um, you're, whatever you want to do when you want something to stay straight. I had a great opportunity of hanging up my mom's wallpaper when I was a sophomore in college. Without a plumb line, it came out like some geometrical figure. It was like this, and when you went in the bathroom, you went like that. It was hung up crookedly, you guys, because I didn't use it, okay? And the reason I said it is because it is used to keep things straight. If it's not used, the project will actually drift, but you can't notice it with the naked eye. You know, the same thing happens when we're not married to God's word and to his commands, that we think things are going well when they're actually not going well. But that's because we're not living by a great book that actually gives us all that we need to know to live well. It restores the inner soul. We're washed by the regeneration of the word, as it says in, um, in, in 1 Peter. You see, the word reveals my sin as it shows me God's standards, but trusting in it removes my sin as it points me to Jesus' blood and reminds me, uh, and reminds me that I'm to walk in um, depending on God. Thus, it revives and breeds life. We even sing a song based on that. This is the air breed, your holy presence living in me. That's just talking about Jesus and his word reviving our souls right there. It affirms, it affirms that Jesus, his spoken word, actually revives our souls. I was um, in Atlanta for a wedding this past June. And I tell you this, you guys, um, God revealed to me, I, got, I have my own little interesting prejudices and everything. I had to go to the airport at 6.30, 6 o'clock flight, so at 3.45 I had to get picked up. I get the Uber driver, he rolls up, and I see him. And I think, oh boy. And I put my stuff in the car in the back seat and then I get in. The reason I said, oh boy, was when I saw him, he didn't have any arms. They stopped right here and he had two little nubs. And then I looked down and he only had one leg and it was a prosthetic leg. I thought, oh boy. And there was a part of me that was, you know, kind of like racing with fear, but it was like, Jazz, you get in that car with that guy. Don't you dare, you know, um, pull, pull some kind of, oh no, I, I called somebody else. And all inside me, I was like fearful and stuff like that. And it was like, he has a license, he's hired by them, he can drive. You begin to call somebody who's you know, fully able like you, who could crash because they've been drinking or just because they missed a stop sign or something, get in that car. 
I get in the car, and of course I do the jazz thing. Hey man, what's up? How are you doing? And everything. Although in reality, he probably saw me look at his legs and look at his arms. And you know, interestingly enough, he he was pretty gracious. He didn't say anything like, "Yeah, you're probably wondering what happened to me, huh?" He didn't do anything like that. He just said, "Oh, you know, I'm doing well. My name's Josh." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm Jazz. Nice to meet you and everything." So we start driving. Of course, I do the jazz thing. Eventually, I ask him about his life, and then I want to know what happened. Also, I just engage in conversation. I want to know you guys. And as we started talking, he gave me his background. He was from Alabama. He was um, an Uber driver. But um, he was a Chinese fellow, and his parents were white from Alabama. And what had happened was um, he was adopted. And so I said, hey, um, well, did you get in a car accident or whatever? He said, no, no. I, I said, oh, can you tell me what happened? Did you get in a car accident? He says, oh, you want to know about my birth defect? He just went straight there. And I said, okay, sure. <laughs> and so he tells me, you know, I was born this way, such and such. He says, yeah, and this is hard. He says, in China, I was a throwaway baby. But you know what's beautiful? Those parents didn't see him that way. He was born like that, and they could have adopted many other kids. They adopted him with no arms and no legs. That is what I call investment. But you know what, you guys? The reason I tell that story is because they spoke life into him and reminded him that he has value. God speaks life to us. They revived what could have been a thrown away baby by adopting him. God revives us in the same way. That is, you know, and when he told me that, I thought, wow, this is how the Lord sees me. And all my junk, it doesn't matter. He loves me and he's willing to meet me where I am and deal with me where I am and speak life into me. That was probably one of the most impacting moments I had in that trip. And then we talked and then I was able to share the gospel with him. He wasn't ready to trust Christ, but life goes on. A seed was planted. You know, that's all I can say. But the Lord is good. You know, and the Lord gave him physical life and my desire or my prayers that the Lord even give him spiritual life and that he would come to know Jesus. So we see that, you know, the word of God actually converts and gives life, you know, for us because we, like that Uber driver, were people who could have been tossed to the side, but God saw value in us. And it does so unequivocally. How do we know this to be true? Because Proverbs 35 tells us that the word of the Lord, Lord is flawless. This is true because God's word doesn't miss a beat. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. God's statutes are basically his divine instructions for us. Through them, he teaches us all that we need to know. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. But in addition, his divine power and his divine word are actually perfect. They lack nothing and possess all. It is our greatest defense against sin. That's why Proverbs 3.4 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. But trusting him entails trusting his word. We can trust it because we know that it's true. We know that it's true. It even reassures us of our salvation, you guys. When we're struggling because we've done something stupid or whatever, and we're thinking, oh boy, it's like I'm not even a Christian. Nope, 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of them, and we can move forward. Yeah, that's his word. It's trustworthy. It's also a testimony. It's reliable, bears witness, speaks truth, and as it says in Numbers 23, 19, that who is God that he should lie? God never lies, nor changes, and nor does his word. There's no addenda. It's immutable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Furthermore, his word isn't perverse or even crooked. It reflects the loyalty and fidelity of who he is. On a personal note, it would um, behoove us to choose friends that are like that. Matt and I one time were meeting for lunch, and um, we were just talking about having good friends. And I remember Matt sharing a verse with me, Proverbs 27, 6, where it says, The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
Jesus, when he confronts us, he's being trustworthy and loving, and we can trust him. It would behoove us to have friends like that also. We don't want to gather our own friends who are just going to tell us what we want to hear, although we're going down a road of destruction. We want friends who are going to be speak truthers because they love us. God's word is that, speak, is, is that truth spoken to us, okay, even when it hurts. There's a quote by Kevin DeYoung. It's from this book I was reading called The Disciple Maker's Handbook. And it said, the word of God can be trusted in every way to speak what is true, to command what is right, and to provide us with what is good. I'll say it again. The word of God can be trusted in every way to speak what is true, to command what is right, and to provide us with what is good. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Precepts are absolutes, and absolutes protect us. (laughs) Because we never have to second-guess them. And when this happens, we experience wisdom, which is simply the application of God's word. It's being skilled in practical living. And whether we realize it or not, following God's precepts always yields joy, even if it doesn't seem like it in the moment. Lasting joy comes from obedience to God. Not from, not from possessions, not from self-ambition, not from the right job, the right college, the right group, whatever it may be. I mean, think about the toy you got in fourth grade. I talked about this before. Mine was Twister and Operation. That's what I got for Christmas. I remember I could not wait, although I went to the mall to pick it out anyway, but I couldn't wait <laughs> to open it, you know, on Christmas Day and the joy that I was just filled with. That would be kind of interesting if I was still excited about playing Twister and Operation. Y'all probably have to send me to talk to somebody, you know? It just does not bring the same joy. Not at all. You know, it might be fun to play with my little six-year-old nephew, Micah, or whatever, but that only lasts about 15 minutes, although I have to act like I'm having fun for 45 minutes, you know? But uh, it is what it is. But yeah, it does not bring the same joy. Those things do not render joy, but walking with Jesus does, following his commands does. Um, knowing the word and obeying it is where joy is found. Let's look at Jeremiah 15, 16. If you have that, turn to it. And it says, Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. They became for me joy, the delight of my heart. Your words were found, and I ate them. They became for me joy, the delight of my heart. The word picture I get there is a hungry man starving. And what happens is he gets the choices of food to eat. That is how we are to embrace the word of God. Yeah, like it's something that we're hungering for and longing for. I've heard it said that right doctrine leads to a right path, but it's actually applied right doctrine that leads to a right path, which can lead to joy or which does lead to joy. We know this to be true because established in verse 7, it says God and his word are trustworthy. That The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Because his commands are clear, there's no ambiguity. It gets to the bottom of things and even exposes our heart's motives. Deuteronomy 10.13 gives the account of the Israelites who continued to stray. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that, the story, but yeah, they were always going off doing their own thing. God would deliver them. They, they'd cry out to God. He would deliver them. They would be, you know, just, you know, living in gravy and everything. Then they'd go back into sin and everything. The book of, book of Judges really talks about it. But in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is talking to them. He says, obey the commands that I'm giving you today um, that are for your benefit. They're for our benefit. When they obeyed the Lord, they moved forward and they thrived. When they disobeyed, they lost at life. You know the same thing applies for us today, you guys? We have consequences for not obeying the Lord's commands. Personally, it hinders us from becoming all that he wants us to be. It stifles our growth. 
Um, it affects us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, emotionally. It affects us in every area of our lives when we walk in disobedience. It enslaves us to sin. And as stated earlier, we're blinded from knowing the truth because our, because our ears and our hearts weren't enlightened. You want to see a train wreck? Keep living in sin and doing your own thing. You'll eventually crash. You'll eventually crash. I have a relative of mine. We're on the phone talking. And they were just kind of going off about something that was really bothering them and everything. And so as we're talking, 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 I said, hey, well, why don't you da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? It's kind of interesting because there were no two sides to it. There was only one response, and there was an obedient response. And they looked at and they, they told me, well, you know what? I'm going to pray on that. I was like, what you mean you're going to pray on that? They're like, well, I'm going to pray on it. They were actually talking about whether or not when they saw somebody else, they were going to cuss them out. And I was like, how are you going to pray on whether or not to sin? You know, I was just like, you don't do that. But that's what they told me because they were mad. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray on it. And I'm like, and, and then they might have said something like, and if God tells them what to do, I'm going to think about whether or not I'm going to listen. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, how far off can we be? But that's what they told me. I'm going to pray on that. And I was thinking, Lord, Lord, Lord. But you know what? Jazz is the same thing. It's probably just not voiced is what it comes down to. It doesn't matter, though, you guys, how bad something is. God never gives us permission to sin. And it doesn't matter what someone else has done. He does not give us permission to sin. And whenever there's ambiguity in obeying God, it's usually rooted in pride and my wanting to do my thing. Okay? And in that case, I'm usually stepping, not usually, I'm always stepping outside of God's will, which is a lack of wisdom. Contrary to popular belief, I want you guys to hear this. God's commands are actually an expression of his love for you. God's commands are actually an expression of his love for you. They enlighten your eyes so that you see the truth and view things as he does. You see, Jesus hasn't given us options to consider. He's given us commands to obey. He has not given us options to consider. He's given us commands to obey. 1 John 5, 3 tells us that these are his commandments and they are not burdensome. They're always for our benefit. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Fear is to have a reverence for the Lord. It's a form of worship. Having a right understanding of him and his word. Though we don't worship his word, a pure understanding of his word leads us to right worship of him. Because it's inerrant, free of defilement, and free of corruption. It's reverential. As a result, I ascribe to the Lord who he is. It's evidence in it being eternal, just like God. Scripture tells us in Psalm 12, 6, that the tainted, the imperfect, and the simple things die. But we know that what? The law, the, the God's word and God last forever. They endure forever, okay? God and his word endure forever because they're pure. They're not tainted. Fear is not a synonym for the word, but it's a manual for um, the worship of God. I was reading another um, quote by um, this fellow, um, Josh Patrick, and he said, people are deeply transformed from the inside out when they obey the Bible's teachings and have a reverential fear of God. People are deeply transformed from the inside out when they obey the Bible's teaching and have a reverential fear of God. Verse 9, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. This basically points out that God gives ordinances and makes judgments. And not only are, are they sure, but also righteous. Verdicts come from a judge, and from God's bench, his verdicts are always true and produce a righteous person. God makes, and declares, God makes and declares us as righteous because of what Christ has done for us. It's imputed to us. 
We trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we become righteous, you know, practically speaking. And when we walk in his ways, it yields righteous lives. So as it says, or, so as it says, I agree that I have hidden faults, yet I rest assured knowing that I'm forgiven because his ordinances and his judgments are true. When I think about his ordinances, his judgments and, you know, verdicts and everything, I think about a buddy of mine, Lou Whalen, who, um, you know, solid man of God, teaches the word of God out of this world. In fact, whenever I get ready to teach, I go to his house, I use his, uh, I use his commentaries, and actually I go over passages with him. And he's just a guy where that I've sat with him and looked over with like one verse, and he was on it for like an hour. Yeah, that's how in-depthly he studies the word of God. Well, I went to Lou's 75th birthday party um, in November. And at his birthday party, it was like heaven, you guys. Revelation 7-9 says, John the Baptist is prophetically speaking of heaven. And he says, there I saw a great multitude from every nation, language, tongue, and tribe. Literally, at Lou's 75th birthday party, there were people from all over the United States. Guys were flying in from back east, from up north, from Colorado to Midwest, and everything to celebrate, celebrate his party. But his celebration of his party was more reflection of Jesus Christ, you guys. It was more reflection of heaven even as I was there. There were people from all ages because he's a great, great grandfather now. He's a great, he's a great grandfather now. There were babies there. There were people in their 10s, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s, in their 80s. There were people from every background. There were blacks there. There were whites there. There were people from the Middle East there. There were Hispanics there. There were Asians there. I just looked around and thought, this is what heaven will look like. I mean, every background represented at that party. There were people from every socioeconomic background. There were guys who were CFOs, CEOs, company presidents. There were teachers. There were housekeepers. There were um, office workers. Um, someone who worked at Big Five um, clo uh, clothing store or shoe store, sporting goods store, whatever. But there was a different group there that a lot of people kind of get scared of. There were some ex-convicts there. Oh, yeah. Lou was involved in prison ministry on Terminal Island for about 20 years. And what he did was he went there and loved those guys and preached the gospel to them and just continued to disciple them. The coolest thing is when I talked to one of the guys, and Lou and Barb made no distinction. You didn't know the difference between a guy who was a CEO and a guy who was ex-convict, okay? But Lou and Barb... Um, you know, made no difference. But when I talked to one of the guys, he looked at me and I said, hey, what's your name? And he's like, oh, you know, my, my name is John or whatever. And we started talking. He says, man, I never thought I'd see the day where I was standing. I said, oh, how do you know Lou? He says, oh, I met Lou in prison. I knew Lou hadn't gone to prison, so I figured it was him that was in prison. <laughs> it was good. You know, it was what it was. <laughs> and he says, I met Lou in prison. I said, all right. And that's when after that, um, he said, yeah, I just never thought I'd see the day where I was standing in Lou Whelan's backyard with my wife celebrating his birthday. It was beautiful, you guys, because also when I went to Lou's house a week later, I said, Lou, I got to tell you, that party was off. I mean, that, that party was the bomb, man. He said, yeah, Jazz, you know, I'm glad Barb made me have it because he didn't want to have anything. His wife made him have it. And he said, yeah, it was, it was a good thing. And I said, man, I love the way you made no distinction between the guys who were in prison and, you know, some of the others that we know from, you know, Rolling Hills or from Paulus Verdes. He said, Jazz, that's because there's no difference. We're all made in the image of God. I thought, wow, you know, it was just neat to hear this, you know, from a white fellow with gray eyes and, you know, gray hair and everything, talking about, you know, some guys who are minorities and some guys who weren't minorities, and he just saw no difference is what it came down to. And then we kept talking, and he said something else that was pretty interesting. He says, we're all made in the image of God, and we're all washed by his blood, and that's how we come clean. And God has declared them as righteous as he's declared anyone else. 
But I thought how awkward that must have been for Lou to be in prison, talking to guys, you know, who were in, who were in prison at the time, and telling them about God's ordinances and his judgments being just and righteous. That could be kind of awkward. But you know what? The beautiful thing was Lou was committed to telling them the truth and love. He gave them God's word. And these guys ate it up. In his teaching, he reminded them that God had done for them what God had done for them by sending Jesus on a cross to die for their sins. Just like the thief on a cross he, who was declared righteous, they could be declared righteous. These guys became believers and knew the word inside out because he spent time teaching them God's judgments, God's ordinances, God's, God's law, God's word, God's commands, and they fell in love with Jesus in prison. Imagine that. When we embrace this, we can truly see that God and his word are sweeter than honey from the comb and more precious than the pierce of gold, and nothing compares to it. But the point I want to make is that we, like those fellows who are ex-convicts, or I should say our brothers and sisters in Christ, need to long for God's righteous ordinances, as it says in Psalm 119, 123. My eyes fill with longing for your righteous word. Those guys longed for the words of God, and as they got it, they fell in love with Jesus. Do you long and hunger for the word of God like that? If so, your life can be changed just as their lives were. A wise response shows off God, point number three. As we look at this last section, verses 12 to 14, we see how we get the show of God when we respond wisely or correctly to him. The psalmist David prays, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from woeful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David reflects the attitude of a mature believer who by God's grace deals with the sins and does not sugarcoat, justify, deny, or even wink at them. I remember my college pastor, Michael Risley, saying, God never winks at sin. Like, you do something, he's like, no, he never does that. It saddens his heart. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we've been sealed for, um, for the day of redemption. Yeah, we don't laugh at sin because it's not a laughing matter. We must understand the gravity of our sin and have a reverential fear of God. Otherwise, we become comfortable in it, and it becomes a no big deal. In fact, I remember a college kid I got together with who was just on fire for the Lord. He says, yeah, Jazz, I'm going through a book called, what is it called, Acceptable Sins? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's called Acceptable Sins. The things that we kind of blow off, but that really, you know, eat at God at the core. Yeah, because no sin is actually acceptable to him. He never thinks it's okay. That's why David cries out in Psalm 139, 23, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. God's word is the greatest purifier as it discerns our hidden sin. And he further submits himself in saying, keep your servant from willful sins. A servant is someone who is committed to doing someone else's will. For us, it would be Jesus, our master, who just so happens to be a great master, okay? The reason I say that is because his laws, his decrees, his statutes, and everything else, they do what? They bless and never burden us. Thus, we who call ourselves Christians are to take that same posture as David, who says, that, you know, he wants to trust his master. Furthermore, when we follow God's commands, we become blameless. Blameless is not sinless perfection, because I think a lot of times we think of blameless. We think of being sinlessly perfect. That is not the case. It's actually wholehearted, unmixed devotion to doing God's will. And though you will stumble and fall, there's still a deep longing to honor the Lord in what you do. 
So yeah, we're called to seek, you know, to seek to be blameless. And as we look at this last section where it says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleased to you, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer. This is only the right response when I consider all that he's done for me. But in order for my mouth and heart to be truly affected, it must, be first, it must first be focused on the word of God. So when I look back at verse 10 and it says that the word is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold, I'm overjoyed. Because when his word is the meditation of my heart, it brings supreme pleasure and offers the greatest of profit and even protection. Have you ever said something and regretted that you said it? Raise your hand. If you ever said something, you thought, oh, boy, I should have said that. My first year teaching, I was in class, and students were sitting in front of me, and we're all chatting. And I don't know why we started talking about something, and one of the kids brought up pregnancy or whatever. And it was, there was a reason why it was brought up. Interestingly enough, out of my mouth almost came, yeah, if someone, someone gets pregnant in high school, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Why would I have said that? I don't know, because I've had relatives get pregnant in high school, so it wasn't like I was harsh toward that or whatever. I hadn't seen that or, or whatever before. And even friends got pregnant in high school, now that I recall. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit snapped my tongue. And I said, yeah, if someone gets pregnant in high school, wow, that would be really tough. And as one girl says, yeah, are you going to come to my baby shower? I was so glad I didn't say what Satan was trying to get me to say, you guys. Yeah, he was tempting me to say something I had no business saying. And the interesting thing was, I didn't even feel that way. I don't know where that was coming from. And I said, oh, I said, are you pregnant? And when the kids said, you don't see that big old belly? I was like, okay, I didn't, know, I didn't notice. I didn't recognize she was pregnant, you guys. But yeah, I remember that. And all I'm saying, I'm not patting myself on the back, you guys. All I'm saying is, I'm so glad that I bit my tongue. And what I'm actually sharing is that what reflects our heart and mouth should always be pleasing to the Lord. Had I made some harsh comment like, oh, a girl gets impregnated in high school, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Imagine the ineffectiveness of my witness that would have caused. Those kids wouldn't have trusted me. They wouldn't have, you know, seen me as loving or kind. They would have seen me as someone who's harsh and judgmental. And all I, all I can say is, by God's grace, I did not say something that stupid. And I'll say that would have been a stupid comment, what I was going to say. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. There are four points that I think about when I look at this verse. Being still entails listening to God. I can't listen to him if I'm all over the place. I can listen to him when I sit in his presence. When we listen to God, we know what to do. When we trust God, we know that he'll work it out. And when we obey God, we know that we'll be blessed. But the main point I want to make is when we respond wisely, we actually get to show God off. Is there any greater privilege than to show God off? I have a little challenge for everybody in here, okay? I don't know if you guys are, you know, into having daily quiet times. I know some of us are and maybe some of us aren't. But I just want to um, encourage us, okay, now that the new year is coming, to start if you haven't been doing so. And having a daily quiet time is where you just get together with the Lord and you see how he's going to speak to your heart and you seek to obey that. Well, Psalm 19 is just a snapshot of Psalm 119, okay? We are, the, today's the sixth, we're 385, 365 days in a year. So Psalm 19 has 14 verses. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. I would love to challenge you guys 
over the course of the year, okay, and this is not hard whatsoever, every two days to read one verse. Start with Psalm 19 first, and then go into Psalm 119, okay? And that'll take you until January 31st, more or less. I teach French and Spanish, not math, so it's not perfect, okay? It's good enough, though, okay? It's good enough, all right? But if you double them, okay, like tomorrow, read two verses from Psalm 19. The next day, read, the, uh, tomorrow, read one verse from Psalm 19. The next day, read, read the same verse from Psalm 19. So every day, read the same verse. For every two days, read a different verse, okay? And let that take you through the end of the year. I guarantee you that your life will be blessed. And why don't you do it like this? Open up in prayer for one minute or a half a minute, whatever it's going to be, and say, Lord, I come before you. I'm asking you to speak to me. Read that verse. Meditate on it. It's going to take maybe a minute to read that verse, okay, because the verses are pretty short. And then take two more minutes saying, Lord, help me live this out, whatever it may be. You know, the words of the Lord are pure, reviving the soul. Lord, what will that look like? Or the commands of the Lord are reading, give light to the eyes. Lord, what will that look like? How can I live this out? I guarantee you, if you do this, your life will be blessed. In fact, if you do this and your life isn't blessed, I will cook for you, okay? And I cook fairly decently, okay? okay. I make southern food. There you go. So you can't count calories when you eat my food, okay? Because I cook with butter also, okay? So I'm just telling you, all right? So yeah, I will cook you a personal meal if you are not blessed. Or even if you are blessed, I'll still do it. I don't care. I want to challenge you to do that for the rest of the year, you guys. You will be blessed. I guarantee it. But as I conclude, okay, I just want to reiterate that Jesus is willing to heal and accept everyone. You see, his, degree, his decrees benefit everyone. They're true. As we enter a relationship with God, with stained clothing, that's just every single person, okay? No one enters without anything. We're all washed by the blood of God, though. So may remember that the word of God saves. It sanctifies. It brings joy, gives wisdom, reveals sin, but also guards us against it. And it reminds us of God's goodness toward us. However, these benefits have limits in some areas, unless you've accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. The coolest thing I could do is to let you leave here thinking that you're okay when you're not. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, i got to be honest with you, you're not all right. It says, uh, it says in Hebrews, I think, it is appointed to men to die once and then to be judged. We will all stand before God. Just like those guys who are ex-convents realize, you know, I'm going to stand before God, and we talk about him having judgments. But his judgments are always, you know, from his bench, and the desire is always that people would come into a relationship with his son. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to seek him out. In fact, at the end, I'll lead us in a prayer. And if that expresses the desire of your heart, please pray it. And then afterwards, come and talk to me and let me know, okay? I don't want you to leave here, like I said, once again, not having had the chance to accept him. We've read about how good he is. So how foolish would it be to have that knowledge and do nothing with it? That would be called rejecting him. If you reject him, God will reject you. I don't say it to scare you. I say because I love you, okay? If you haven't accepted Christ and you want to, why don't, you, why don't we all stand up? Matt's going to come up here in a second to um, lead us in communion. But hey, why don't we all stand up, okay? Open your hands, if you would, please. And those of you who haven't trusted Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. And those of you who have trusted Christ, you know him as Lord and Savior, why don't you pray for those, okay, who haven't? And it would simply be, Father God, 
Thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to down across for my sins. I don't understand everything, but I understand the simple things. And the one thing I need to understand is that I need a savior because I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Lord means you're the one who's going to lead my life from now on. And Savior means you're the one who saves me from going to hell. I commit my life to you. Thank you for saving me. It's your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If anyone has trusted Christ, I'm going to go in the back, and if you want to talk to me or James or any of the other leaders, there will be some other people back there. Please come and talk to us if you have further questions, okay? And once again, this is the beginning of a brand new life, a brand new year, and a brand new you. It's your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.